0: I think everyone has a why Mm. and I think you have absolutely must be very clear on what that why is. Even if you're, if you're just in a stepping stone right now, then your why is where you're going.
1: Have you ever dreamed of starting a company that imports product from other parts of the world? Then you're going to be super interested in today's conversation with Jessica Honiger, co-CEO of Noonday Collection. Find out about how she started her business and how important it is to have an impact with your work. Here's our conversation. For people who do not know you i don't even know how that could be possible but will you tell us uh what you do to talk about noonday give us that story
0: yeah absolutely so i am the ceo co ceo and founder of noonday collection and we are a socially responsible fashion brand that uses fashion to create opportunity for people around the world. So we're creating opportunity for people living in vulnerable communities in about 13 different countries. And then we're also creating opportunity for entrepreneurs here in America. We have around 1500 female entrepreneurs that we call ambassadors. And those women get to launch their own businesses here in America. They create a marketplace for the communities and the vulnerable communities we work in and create opportunity for those entrepreneurs around the world. So it's sort of a global partnership of entrepreneurs, which is, I know you love that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, When you started this, did you have any idea of what it would become? Like, did you have an inkling or you just were sort of like, let me, let's see what we can do.
0: So my head was to the ground because I did start it as a fundraiser where I was very focused. We were trying to raise money to get my son home from Rwanda. So we were adopting and my biggest felt need and my biggest why at the beginning was definitely like, we need some cashola Mm
1: -hmm. ASAP, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And you started, didn't you start it selling? I feel like I've heard this story before, like selling off your own jewelry in order to fund it. Okay. So my first trunk show, which, you know, I didn't even call it a trunk show then,
0: I had some artisan made goods from Uganda. So some of my friends were working with a Ugandan couple and they said, they're so talented. They just need a marketplace. Mm. And my friends had given opportunity to these artisans, but they hadn't thought through the whole marketplace piece.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so they had all of this stuff just sitting in storage here in America. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like they had paid, you know, these Ugandan artisans for their work, but didn't really think through the selling piece, which honestly, that's the hardest part mm-hmm. is creating the marketplace. So they said, we have all this stuff sitting in storage. We know that you have a financial need for your adoption. Why don't you try selling it? And so I opened my home and I sold all of these Ugandan goods, but you are right in that I also Pretty much sold everything but the kitchen sink. I mean, <laughs> at this day, we'll find people around Austin, and I'm like, I think that that is my old bracelet.
1: Oh, how funny.
0: Because I was. Um, my husband and I had been working in real estate. We were basically chipping Joanna Gaines, not going to lie. <laughs> I'm totally serious. Um, and so we had been flipping houses and did not realize that was a very unique point in time in America where you could just go to the bank and get a loan. Yep. And we had like seven of those. And suddenly the banks were saying no can do not going to give you a loan anymore. And people weren't buying houses. And it was a very scary time for us. But in the middle of that, we had committed to adoption um, from East Africa. And so I knew I needed to hustle for an additional income. I just yeah, I pulled everything out of my home that night and sold it. But I think So I think I quickly realized that night that yes, it was a fundraiser, but also there was a hole in the market. And so many people had asked me to host trunk shows and host, you know, try to join various direct sales companies, but I either wasn't into the product or I wasn't really into the mission. And then fair trade goods at the time were so tchotchke. They felt more like charity buys, Mm -hmm. whereas these items really were fashion relevant. People wanted to wear them. People wanted to buy them. And so I think I did sort of, you know, come into the market at a really unique time. And that is one reason I think we grew really quickly.
1: Had you, I mean, had you ever done direct sales before? Why were you drawn? I mean, it feels like such a daunting thing to be on the beginning side of that. And I have had the privilege of, um, you know, getting to go to Shine and seeing all of your ambassadors and seeing what you have built. And it's just, it's amazing. Um, how did you, how did you decide to go down that path besides, you know, sort of seeing other businesses who are doing it? Um oh, I just feel like that takes so much guts. You know, I feel like the guts
0: came a little bit more later. I feel like the main thing I was risking was my reputation Mm -hmm. and with my own feelings of rejection. Wow. You know, I mean, I I did and I kind of regret this. I went and I dug through all of my yellow gold jewelry that at the time I wasn't wearing from that my mom had given me since, you know, elementary school. Mm
1: -hmm, And mm -hmm. I did
0: pawn it Mm -hmm. at a, in a pawn shop. And that's what funded our first website. And so I did, there was some financial risk there, but I feel like it was mainly like, I'm just going to risk people saying no to me a yeah. whole and think that I'm an annoying salesperson. Mm. That was really my risk, but it felt real to me at the time. I mean, I did have middle school flashbacks of like, <laughs> I, and I'm from Texas girl. I yeah. mean, my wife was like 500 people and that was small in my family. Yeah. So we do things big in Texas. And so it was like, okay, every trunk show that I asked a woman to have, it needed to be big, you know, mm-hmm. and in my yeah. mind. And so then I would, I would face feelings of rejection and a failure, But I will say because our product has such a powerful story behind it, there is something powerful when women gather, Mm -hmm. physically gather. And I think more than ever, girlfriend, I think by the time our kids are like 7th and 8th grade, we're going to be going back to flip phones.
1: Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com dot com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Mm, so that we're so that we get away from the constant connection.
0: So I think that we crave it now more than ever. Real physical, in person connection. Mm. So there's something. Powerful about trunk shows where you invite people into your home and then the storytelling behind it if our earrings were being sold at stores You know the customer would never really get to understand the impact and so it's an educational platform as Well, and then a styling platform. I mean, I mean girls love to get women. Sorry, Rachel I just use it girls. I know you call me out. I like it. Yeah. Women love to get together and, you know, celebrate one another and celebrate our bodies types and our style. And, Oh, that looks good on you, but I could never pull that off. And so I love that aspect of it too. So it's, it's just, we're, we're able to create impact and really enter into really hard, Circumstances with our artists and partners, I mean these are people that are wondering right now, you know, am I going to have to take my kid to an orphanage next week? I mean, mm-hmm. these are really tough situations, and yet we're able to kind of talk about that um in the context of jewelry and style, and I think that makes it less intimidating for people and and then, of course, jewelry is such a connecting piece like you know, our wedding things, or I'm sure you have something special from your grandma that was passed (laughs) down. And there's a sense of meaning there. And I feel like, the same thing happens with our accessories that when you wear something made in Ethiopia, you feel connected to Mm -hmm. those people.
1: I also love, um, I love jewelry because it's the thing that no matter what size you are, no matter how you feel about your body, this is a thing that we can all do. Um, I think I talked about this at shine about having postpartum depression and um, uh, sitting and breastfeeding my son and feeling like I had lost myself. And I, I, after several weeks of this, um, was in my jewelry drawer and saw a cocktail ring and I put the cocktail ring on and I would sit with depression and cry and breastfeed him and wear that ring. And it Mm. helped me to start to feel like myself again. And there's power in what, what these things symbolize for us. Um, uh, just accessories in general, whether you're into like a big, beautiful statement necklace or um, a giving key or whatever it is, there, there's power in um, those things that make us feel like ourselves. So I love that part about Noonday. Thank you. I do too. It's,
0: it's funny. My grandma was always into jewelry and accessories. And I remember playing in her jewelry box as a kid and yeah, there is something. I think even when I go to museums oftentimes on my travels and I'll go visit the museums to kind of discover more about the country. And there, you know, some of the earliest artifacts were accessories mm-hmm. that women wore in ceremonies and, you know, so there is. It's it's really
1: powerful. I can't say I strategically set off with that. But. <laughs> well, so so you started you started this company. How long was it before you brought on Either employees or um I know you have a co-CEO that was a big part of so so tell me about that. When did you make the decision to bring on additional um, guidance and help? Right. After a few months, other women said, Well,
0: I'm raising money for an adoption and could I just start my own new day collection in my town? And Mm. so I said, Hey, put together a comp plan and you know, let's see if we can make this work. And Literally within a month, I had multiplied myself by like 10. Wow, I was swimming, I mean, drowning, not swimming. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) and so I think I realized, okay, this is either a fundraiser and this was fun and we did it for a year, or this is a business Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go for it as a business. And so at that point, I knew operationally I needed more strategy behind the scenes, like just things like how to get PayPal to talk to our mail system and how to good pricing on how to automate, you know, shipping labels, like all of those logistical things, like I was out there selling, I was booking shows. Now I was training ambassadors on how to do that. I was designing the product. I was scouring the product. I was, you know, a one woman shop. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed someone who could, who could come into some of my areas of weakness, which definitely, I hate saying this just because I know I'm talking to another feminist, but I hate saying my weakness was finance because I think, I think there's such a stereotype that women in numbers.
1: I hate saying that. I know it's I, my weakness too, though. It, I I mean it is it, it. But there there, I'm sure there are so many women listening who are incredible at math and finance. So I feel like they will balance us out, Jess. Okay, my whole accounting team
0: is a g- badass woman Great. that added work Excel like I never will. So, <laughs> but I just had to qualify that. So, so yes. finances and operations were not my thing. And I had a friend who we would kid swap. You know, this is back in the day when literally no money for a babysitter. So we found friends to swap with. And some of those friends were my friends, Travis and Suzanne Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I remember babysitting their kids one time and seeing something they had left out on their kitchen island. And it was something from his work. And it was like, it was an Excel sheet. And I thought, wow, that looks fancy and organized. (laughs) I like that. I like the looks of that. And so I just, um, I had met Travis and Suzanne. Suzanne I had grown up with, but I had met her husband, Travis, in Africa several years ago on a trip, and he was living in Mozambique, running a microfinance bank. Wow. Yeah. And so that's kind of the context of how we met. And then he had come back to America had gotten his MBA at Wharton. And I had kind of, you know, kept in touch with him over the years. And so now here I was standing in his kitchen, looking at this Excel sheet thinking, I'm going to ask for his advice. And so his wife had already hosted a noonday collection trunk show and was very much a supporter, was super excited about it. So I literally reached out thinking, you know we'll meet a couple of times. He'll kind of give me some guidance around how to get Excel to talk to PayPal or whatever else and well, he kept asking to me, "Well, let's meet again and he was just asking me a lot of questions, like write down everything that's keeping you up at night and you know where do you think this is going and all that and after about a month, he said, "Hey, my wife and i we've been saving up our whole lives because I really wanted to be able to to run a business someday and Could I be your business partner? Like, is that something you're interested in? And so we went in 50-50, which was hard. And people think, how could you give up 50% of your business? But it was 50% of basically a fundraiser. I mean, listen, it was legit. And to this day, we stand on a lot of what I built that first year, but it couldn't be what it is without knowing I need to find someone with these strengths. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is in that piece of um, delegation, like people. And I knew I wanted to be big. I I, we do things big in Texas. So I wanted this. (laughs) The potential was huge. And so um, from the very beginning, so that that was a big deal, though, because that was when I realized we are not. fundraiser anymore. This is not a, this is not a side hustle. Mm -hmm. This is someone who's about to live off his life savings account because we cannot pay ourselves a salary yet. Mm -hmm. I know many people are listening right now. And I mean, we didn't pay ourselves a salary for two or three years. That's, that is normal. And so I knew that, okay, this guy's about to sacrifice his family for the sake of this vision. And that's when I, things got real. And, um, Through a lot of prayer and business counseling and meeting with attorneys, um, we really felt um, right about it. And so we went into a formal business partnership, and literally the next week, I flew to Africa to get my son Jack from Rwanda.
1: Wow. I didn't know it was that close. That's incredible. So close. So you are trying to figure out how to scale this company while also managing a new adoptive child. I shouldn't say managing, but you know, I mean, like anytime we add either through adoption or biologically add a child to our family, it's just everything sort of gets thrown into chaos. It does. And how old was he when you brought him home? He was almost three. Oh my goodness. I
0: know. And, and is, is he the baby? Yeah. Okay. He,
1: the, he and my other son Holden are
0: similar in age. Okay. But yeah, and we didn't have offices, of course. Yes. You know, you not you can't pay yourself a salary. You also can't pay a lease. So we are officing out of the guest bedroom of my house. Mm-hmm. And, and I some, – some of this is so fuzzy to me because, you know, you you kind of try to forget certain things. Oh, my gosh. It's tough. It's
1: so, so tough. So um, I'm curious about how – I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you did not have experience with bringing in goods from other countries, unless, unless that's a, am I, am I wrong in that assumption that that was a new thing for you? That was new. So what I am so curious about, and I think this is so inspiring for people who are listening who um, have a passion or want to start something and don't know how to do it. How in the world do you figure out something like international customs when, or, or any of the elements that you've built through noonday? How do you figure out something when you had no idea how to do it before you started?
0: You know, probably embracing illegal things at the (laughs) beginning.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Not at all, for sure, not at all what I thought you were going to say. You know, if ignorance is bliss. Yeah, and and a lot of times it's like you don't realize until later. I, for years as an event planner, didn't have – um, I wasn't running my checks through payroll, so I wasn't properly taxing employees and I didn't know it until I just wanted to automate my payroll and went to meet with a payroll specialist and they were like, they had a small heart attack in the floor. Like, you're doing what? I was like, I'm just writing a check. I didn't know. So it's not, I wasn't yeah, trying to it's break the law. You write a check to your babysitters. Yeah. Why would you do yeah that I just didn't like, know better.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I would say ignorance is bliss. And there was definitely um some mewling that went on in suitcases. Yeah. Uh sneaking past customs, um, saying prayers, saying yeah. Jesus didn't care yeah. about well, this is not this is okay. <laughs> open people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. So I think that eventually has been figured out and, you know, honestly, I know that sounds so complex. How do you figure out international customs? That wasn't something there's DHLs pretty much DHLs international. So they actually do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So I would say some of those things, you know, from the beginning that sound like, how am I ever going to figure that out? I mean, you just do, you know, and you kind of find out that it's actually not that complicated Mm -hmm. or hard and, especially at the beginning when you're not dealing in super large quantities. And so I think that I I do think, you know, having my business partner, he from the beginning kind of had that vision to invest in infrastructure where I was always like, we got marketing dollars, you know, we got to have marketing dollars. And he's like, no, we got to spend a lot of money on this, you know, inventory system. And this Mm -hmm. is back when we could count our inventory on our hands. Um, so I think that has been a huge takeaway for me is just how especially if you're wanting to be a a growth company, I mean, you might not want to be, and that's sure. fine. some people think small is beautiful, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think small is beautiful too. God didn't make me small, <laughs> oh, but that's okay so I you know, I think it's from the beginning, I knew you know what i This, this has a lot of potential and I want it to reach its fullest potential. And so I knew I needed to think five years down the line, not just, you know, three months down the line. And I think Travis, my partner was really able to do that. in in regards to operations and finances, and I mean, that was one of the first, you know, one of our first good, big hires was our director of finance. Mm. And I mean, I think I would have never spent our money in that way if, it wouldn't have been sort of that operational foresight that he had.
1: Hey, guys, we'll be back in a hot minute with more of this interview. But now a quick word from a sponsor. Want to listen to an audiobook that'll make you feel better about your crappy job? Party Girl takes listeners on an adventure among Hollywood's most beautiful and most outrageous people, revealing the ugly side of Hollywood's prettiest parties. The entire Girl series is now available on Audible, and it's read and written by me. (laughs) Discover the world of Audible Originals today at audible.com. Where, uh, where is the company going? What's the ultimate dream?
0: You know, you hear about some of these direct sales companies that have, you know, 15,000 consultants alone in Dallas for Mary Kay. Oh, wow. And so I just, I'm thinking big like that because mm-hmm. we started with two artisans in Uganda, Jolly and Daniel, and I know you've heard all, of, all about them. Yes, because I you-
1: got to meet them at Shine.
0: Now we are impacting 4,000 artisans and 20,000 family members. You hear about um, not just the economic impact, but the dignity that comes from work, the dignity you feel from your work, you know, starting this podcast, Mm -hmm. running your lifestyle brand, your, I mean, all of the things that you do. I mean, there's power in that. And so imagine um, being able to create that kind of power for um, these families in these other countries, it's
1: addictive, you know? Oh, sure, absolutely. Even just being, I think, even just being um, around the ambassadors and being with you all in Austin, um, it's palpable how much people care about what they're doing. And that is not something that exists in other businesses. What, um, what advice could you give to, people who are listening, who have their own thing, either they're starting their own business or even just in working for someone else, how do you bring that sense of purpose to everyday work? If it's not noonday, if you don't have um, the blessing of getting to work with you guys, how uh, how are ways you think that people could incorporate that into um, their work? I think everyone has a why.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think you have absolutely must be very clear on what that why is even if you're if you're just in a stepping stone right now then your why is where you're going Mm -hmm. and so I what is your vision what is your vision for where you want to go now I it would be laughable to tell you that I had some clear vision since I was like you know a little girl and I always knew I wanted to be a CEO of a fashion brand I didn't have that. I mean, I literally I got my master's in education. I lived overseas for a couple of years. I was an assistant at a bridal store and sold China. I flipped homes, I did interior design. I mean, it, it all felt super random, but through it all, I did have this strong sense of I want to use my life to create opportunity for others. And so I did try a lot of other things. I was always, you know, I did mentoring with big brothers and sisters, volunteer with the homeless, work with the mentally ill. You know, so many different things until I kind of find found my thing, yeah. you know, and so you can't just sit at home and dream and think like, how am I going to find my purpose? Like you go out and you try and yeah. you do a bunch of different things. And so I think that's what kind of helps you um, come up with your your why and your vision. And I think that that translates to anything. Um, I do believe that you've got to connect what with what you're doing with something bigger and than yourself. And I think that, you know, whether that's serving the people at your company really well, because you create the most beautiful spreadsheets of anybody in the whole, <laughs> Yes, you can find value in everything. And I think kind of having that why and that vision is what's going to help bring purpose to your job, no matter what your job
1: is. Yeah, that's so great. Um, one of the things that I've seen you talk a lot about on social that I just, I really love is, uh, and I don't know exactly what you call it, but the idea of and that mm. you can be this and that you can be a CEO and an awesome mom. You can love to wear black, but also really like lace or you can be both of these things. Um, will you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yes. And so that was something, yeah, I just started this hashtag choosing and, and I think it's cause we try to be these either or mm. people. Um, we think it's, I don't know, more simple or cleaner, or we just don't give ourselves permission to hold tensions. Holding tensions is hard. But the truth is that we all have these tensions that we hold. And I think when we try to spend our energy on trying to be the either or the or, then we're missing out on the beauty that just comes with um, being our our authentic selves, which is embracing both of those things. And so I know for me, like my calves, I I tap dance for like 16 years, girl, and my calves are muscular, okay? (laughs) And so I thought, you know what? I can have muscular calves and be feminine. Mm, And that's like a little one. I can be an adoptive mom and love Jack and be so thankful he's in my life. And I can be sad that his first mom isn't getting to raise him. yeah. And I can be a good mom and I can be a good CEO.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's just, I, there's so many, you know, and I try to challenge myself to think, think about these, um, when I've been thinking about, I'm sorry, I'm talking to someone, you, you hear me talk about body image stuff too, because yeah. that's something that I kind of ties in, but even just knowing like I can accept my body and I can work on my body being healthier, yes. you know, like,
1: yeah, I actually, this is, this is a great, um, this is such a great thought, and I, love, I uh, love this idea. I think that's why I latched onto it when I saw it on your, uh, I think it was your Instagram. Um, yeah. The idea that if we want to work on who we are, that somehow makes who we are wrong, Mm-hmm. When the reality is, I think that you can love and appreciate and be thankful for who you are today and still want to grow as a person, still okay. want to challenge yourself, still hope that there's more for you in this world than just where you are today. So, uh, so inspired by that idea. And I, I think that's why I dig it so much is because I think for so long, I thought that meant that I
0: couldn't, that that means this is just, this is how I'm going to be forever. Yes. So yeah. then I actually didn't walk in self-acceptance and self-love because I thought then I would kind of like be paralyzed by this apathy or oh, this. it is what, you know. Yeah. But acceptance and self-love, I think, actually activate being able to also pursue the better part of yourself, you know. Yes. So yeah. I, I truly think embracing this tension of and, these these paradoxes and holding them and letting other people hold them too
1: Gosh, so good. And I think oftentimes it is, the, it is our perception of what other people will think about us that um, drives how we think about us. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. traveltexas.com/get your own. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Uh, which doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve our children. It doesn't help us grow it. I think if anything, it it sort of um, keeps us from moving in any direction because we're sort of paralyzed by the fear that we're doing something wrong. And I think that
0: one thing I've learned in the past couple of years is we actually can't control other people's perception of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can influence it, you know, we can put the pretty picture out, but At the end of the day, people are going to think what they're going to think, you know, and so putting your energy into that.
1: Yeah, I feel like you and I have talked about this before. The idea you are, you have a public persona, you are on social media, and oftentimes that comes with trolls, or that comes with people being mean when there's no reason to. Is that something that you've struggled with? Are you pretty good about being like, ah, that's on you?
0: Well, I'm no, I'm no Rachel Hollis. <laughs> I've been on like the, all the shows, <laughs> Rachel Ray. Oh Lord. You know, I think that's an area where um, we have such an amazing culture at Noonday. I mean, really, you, you've heard our ambassador manifesto. Yes, that we- yeah.
1: I've been able to experience it and I was drinking the Kool-Aid. If I didn't run chic, I probably would have signed up to be an ambassador that weekend. Hey, you got your sister too, I girl. did. I sure did. I like called her at Shine and I was like, Christina, you need to go do this.
0: Oh my gosh. Our community got so excited. And I think we got to see pictures of Noah before yes. everyone.
1: because Yes. Yeah, she fully was like, she was like, I feel like she was like in high school. She was like, dude, can I have an exclusive photo of Noah to show all of the <laughs> ambassadors? Because it's worth saying I was at Shine when we had the very first conversation with her birth mom. It so, was, yeah. and I said to the audience, I was so excited. I literally said, Jess, I need an hour. I have to go talk to this woman. And because it was, you guys are so focused and supportive of adoption. You were like, oh my gosh, go. And then I came back and I was like, ah, we've been matched. And the audience like erupted. So uh, yeah, the ambassadors at noonday. Yeah, we just felt like we were got to be a part of the whole story. You so did. it was like when you brought Noah home, it was like, like family yes well we'll sort of wrap this beautiful interview up I ask the same questions to um the people that I interview every single time and now I'm going to do that with you if that's okay yeah. uh okay. what time do you wake up in the morning
0: I wake up at 630. I think that, um, I asked this of you at shine yes. and you kicked all of our butt. <laughs> oh,
1: and you're like, I get up at, no. <laughs> oh, no. at 430. <laughs> I get up at 5am. I get up at 5am. If I'm on deadline or I have a big project right now with a four week old, I am not getting up at 5am, but whenever I can, I love, I'm an early riser. Yeah. Uh, what is your coffee order?
0: I drink black with just a little splash of milk, and that's it.
1: That's old, like old school, classic. I dig it. Um, you, okay, this is a great question for you because you travel not just regularly, but you are traveling internationally. So, what is something that you have that you travel with that you feel like is just essential to, like it's a lifesaver to business travel?
0: You know, I smells, like I don't like airplane smells. And so I love taking with me just a little bit of like a lavender scent, like a real natural or like an oil or something like that. Yeah, that is so
1: smart. I've never thought of that, putting like a little bottle of essential oil in my carry-on. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love when, cause so many, so many of the women that we've spoken to are obviously traveling quite a bit and we've gotten so much great advice about travel tips. So, um, yeah. what's your favorite, like workout, physical activity and in a perfect world, how often are you doing it? So I am a part of a little
0: fitness studio called Fuerte Fitness nice. and I love it. it's owned by this, uh, Peruvian woman and it's group classes. And so I go either at six 30 in the morning or at eight in the morning. And it's sometimes if I'm really doubling up, then I'll, I'll get another little workout in at like four 30 or five. But that's only if I'm like trying to recover from drinking too much vodka yes. and eating too much queso. Yep. I so, that. yeah. And I would say, I mean that I love my routine. I actually did it this morning and I was like, oh, I love this. It is hard with travel, you know, sure. but I mean, if I'm not traveling, I would say I do that four to five times
1: a week. Awesome.
0: You ask this of someone, Rachel, and they say, I don't work out. Oh, I mean, plenty I feel-
1: of people said that. Plenty. Of, I I talked to Jamie last week and she was like, oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I don't do anything. Sometimes I walk in my neighborhood. But everybody's different and that's what I dig. We have, with any of these questions, we've never gotten the same answer twice. And that's actually what I hope women get is that we're all made differently and you do what works for you. That's true. Um, but this podcast is called Deus, and so I ask every single person that I interview you know, Deus is a platform. It's it's the space from which we speak, and you have been given this incredible platform, or I don't want to say given, you have worked your butt off for this incredible platform that you have. If you could speak to women either in your organization or just women in life, you see them right now out in the world. They're doing something that you're like, oh, girl, if I could just tell you one thing and have it stick, if I could shake you by the shoulders and just let you know that this is the truth, what is the thing that you would speak over women?
0: You know, I would say you're loved, you're worthy, you have a voice, Hmm. use it.
1: Dang it. Get it, girl. That was it. Yeah, girl. That was And this is another one, too, is not one interviewee. Said the same answer, so I dig that, and I will, um, I will, I will say to you, thank you so much. You are loved, and I so appreciate your friendship. Um you know, I, I have very few uh, fellow female CEOs who are moms, who are Christians, um, that I can reach out to and, and get advice from and kind of cry to, and Jessica is one of those. So I feel um, super excited that listeners got to experience what I get to experience as your friend in real life. So um, thanks so much, girl, and um, have a fabulous trip to Africa. I will thank you. Going to Ethiopia, girl. You've been oh, there. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, all right, girl. talk to you later. Okay,
0: bye-bye. Bye.
1: Hey guys, if you like this episode, I hope you will consider subscribing to the Deus Podcast on iTunes, sharing it with your friends, and showing some love on social media. For a newbie show like mine, those reviews are everything. Thanks to our producer Allison Cohen, our sound engineer Jack Noble and our sound editor, Andrew Weller. To stay in touch with all things Deus, you can check out thechicsite.com or follow me on social media. I am Ms. Rachel Hollis on every single platform. Most importantly, I hope you heard something today that inspires you. I'll see you next week.